hey, if you're just tuning in, this is part two of a two-part conversation. So go back and listen to the first part. Yeah, what are you doing? And if you heard, heard the first part, then you're in exactly the right spot. So don't go anywhere. They're going to the harbor beyond the White Towers. Grey Havens. They're leaving Middle-earth. Never to return. I don't know why. It makes me sad. There's one last theme, Carlin, I'd love to just bring up real quick. And yeah. it's this idea of a word Tolkien coined called eucatastrophe. It's catastrophe, but it's it's good. <laughs> U-E-C-A-tastrophe. Yeah, what, yeah, that's one way to spell it. <laughs> It goes back to that line that Gandalf had, that there are powers at work despite the will of evil. And, yeah. and again, Tolkien would probably dislike a lot of the like super hard conclusions we're drawing from all this, um, hmm. but, but we can't help it. And he couldn't help it either. His worldview comes through. And so you catastrophe is all through Lord of the Rings. You see hmm. it at um, Helm's Deep where they win an impossible victory. You see it in Gandalf dying, but then being resuscitated as the white wizard he comes back stronger and he's defeated a balrog you see it in Gollum, who they have chosen to have pity on and show mercy to and he betrays that trust but it still works out in the end for good frodo takes that ring as far as he possibly can and i think at the very end it's not him choosing anymore his will is just corrupted by this thing that's stronger than him but he's done enough He's given it his all. And at the end, the the fates that are working to produce good have Gollum. Gollum grabs the ring and... Takes it and to his death. Takes it to his death, right. And so eucatastrophe occurs. Yeah. The same thing where the armies of the dead, right? Like, they have been sitting there unused for <laughs> how many years? And what are the odds that there is still an heir of a Sildor? He says that line was broken. He doesn't even know there is an heir of a sealed door. Right. But all things work together in the right moment for Aragorn to be emotionally ready to step up to the plate. Elrond reforges the sword, brings it to him. It all lines up. And then they needed that army to win uh, the fight for Gondor because <laughs> they weren't going to do it alone. Right. And I think Tolkien's wrestling with another hard problem of human life, which is the, the question of fate versus responsibility. How much are we just destined and determined by our circumstances? And how much do we need to take responsibility for our actions and do everything we can? And no matter who you are, what worldview you're coming from on this, you have to deal with that question. Hmm. If you're just a stone cold like materialist, then you actually believe that we are biologically determined, right? Hmm. And it's like, as Richard Dawkins said one time, we just dance to our, the tune of our DNA, it doesn't know or care. We're just dancing to its tune. And so there's a sense in which we're determined by this, the external forces outside of our control. If you're coming from a more theistic worldview, you have to deal with that. Where does fate and, and sort of the God's will and, and our responsibility to act begin? And again, I think Tolkien is really complex with his answer in that it unfolds only over the course of all three books and all three movies. But I think he gives us a pretty satisfying answer to that question. I was just thinking of the other side. The, the two examples I have in my mind are um, 
Frankenstein. We've talked about mm. this on the show before, but how Mary Shelley creates Frankenstein, who or the monster, who is feels like a, a blank slate, like he was fine, and then it was the circumstances around him that made him into the true monster. It's not. It's the way he was built to be this ugly creature, and and then that people were disgusted and afraid of him, and so he becomes what people tell him he is. Mm. Wow. And he's almost not really responsible. He's just a product of his environment, which is kind of cold hard science. But so but there's room for both in Middle Earth. Yes. Because we do have like we should take pity on people whose circumstances have made it incredibly difficult, but it's like the judge is fair. Um each person has their moment where they can it's their own personal trial, right? Like even you said, Frodo gives it everything he can. But in the end, he can't do it all the way. But what he did was he passed his own test. And each character has their own personal trial. For some, it's way harder. Like Gandalf has to kill a freaking Balrog, okay? <laughs> Whereas yeah. Pippin has to just not look at the Palantir or whatever. <laughs> like it's not all the same, but it is fair. And Tolkien really walks us through the consequences of those decisions. You know, one of the most striking moments in all the films, I loved this, you know, right as Theoden leads his charge at the, the culmination of his character arc, right? He's mm -hmm. chosen courage in the face of hopelessness. Mm -hmm. Denethor is leaping from the tallest spire of Gondor, choosing mm. despair, snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory. He literally, He's gonna win. They're they're gonna be saved. If Denethor did nothing, he'd be sitting there and fine. Faramir would be alive. He would have a chance to maybe come clean, surrender the scepter to the king. But the choices he's made up to this point have hardened him so deeply that he inevitably he loses. Yeah. Even when victory is, without him knowing it, about to occur. And I just, I so appreciate that because you know Tolkien wasn't messing around. Again, his story infor informs all of this. Tolkien lost like all of his good friends. He had like a close circle mm -hmm. before he went off to war. And he lost like all but one of those dear friends in World War I. Mm -hmm. And he and Lewis both who had uh, served, they talked about the ways that that shaped them. And Tolkien himself chose to cling to life and to trust essentially in God's goodness despite enduring incredible trauma and incredible he never mm -hmm. lost his like love of goodness and good things and I think that plays its way out so Gandalf just sums it up for us perfectly he's like so say all who live to see such times none of us choose the era we're born into we don't choose the level of power or authority Aragorn didn't choose to be a sealed or his heir Frodo mm -hmm. didn't choose to find the ring all that remains is for us to be faithful with the time that we have. So, Carlin, we've dived into what we think the filmmakers are trying to say and, by extension, what Tolkien's trying to say in Lord of the Rings. The third question, then, is how does it relate to our Christian worldview? And I want to start by asking a few questions. I mean, I think we reference Lord of the Rings all the time in our comparison you and me? Yeah. Did you know? Did you notice that sometimes will sometimes Lord of the Rings will come up in our conversations? That sound like us? I know. I know. <laughs> but actually, it is weird. In reviewing our previous podcast, we we do tend to talk about Lord of the Rings a lot. Every time, every episode. I just want to ask the question: In real life, what happens if we don't take 
responsibility for our actions. Like, what happens if we don't have a robust theory of evil? Do you know what I mean? I wonder if that'd be a good place to start. I think that's a great place to start. Starting with your amazing theme that you noticed of taking responsibility, stepping up to the plate, like rising to answer the call. What happens in our world today if people fail to do that or they don't have a good enough worldview of of why that matters it's funny because i think even if you don't have a working theory of it in your worldview we all feel the truth of it like we all feel the the reality of goodness and evil and just because you don't believe in it doesn't take you off the hook Hmm. of the responsibility to do Um, in those moments when you're presented with temptation. But I think we also, we can all probably find examples in our own hearts, if we're being honest, of times when we're presented with the choice, you know. And when you choose evil or you choose to give in to temptation or the selfish thing, you feel self-righteous. At least in my experience, the thoughts that filling my mind aren't, oh man, I did the bad thing. Oh yeah, I'm doing, I'm being, I'm walking in darkness and not in light. I'm thinking, well, I would have every reason to choose that. Mm. Like anyone else would do it in my shoes. Mm. It's not my fault. It's someone else made this choice and that made me choose this choice. Like you don't feel bad. You feel defensive. <laughs> you feel right. like other people are attacking you. Um, I had a big epiphany one time. I was making a continual choice to do what I knew was wrong. I knew that the Lord had something different for me, but I was continually choosing the wrong thing. And mom came at me and was like, she was shooting straight with me. She was like, Carlin, this is not what you said you would do. You're not walking in integrity. And it hit me all of a sudden that when you're being defensive, you don't feel defensive. You feel like you're being attacked. (laughs) (laughs) and then your walls go up so when you feel like someone's attacking you that's not to say people don't attack you but sometimes take a take a pause and think about are is someone attacking you or is your defense are you defending something wrong i don't know why but when you're talking about being defensive i'm thinking of boromir who remains Mm -hmm. one of my absolute favorite characters of all time He just is so relatable in the sense that he wants to do good, but he kind of lets himself fall into this inner dialogue. No, and it comes Mm -hmm. out when he's trying to grab at Frodo and take the ring. He's like, it should be mine. It's not yours except for unhappy chance. He goes through a series of different uh, justifications why he should take it. Yeah. When in reality, he knows better. And I so know what that feels like. (laughs) It's not great. Likewise... Bilbo, when Gandalf is like, I think you should leave the ring behind. And he's like, you want it for yourself. He starts, he's clinging to anything he can, accusing other people. Yeah. When he knows. And then he, then he walks, okay, this cracks me up. He's like, you're right, I'll leave the ring. And then he opens the door and starts marching out and Gandalf goes, Bilbo, (laughs) the ring is still in your pocket. And he's like, oh yeah, right. Uh, I didn't, I forgot. (laughs) Yeah. The different responses to the ring's temptation, it covers a gambit throughout the whole trilogy, and so many of them feel very relatable to me. Yeah. Um, but it will try everything. Yeah. Justification, evil, the desire to t- reach out and take evil will try anything to get you to stay. Mm. And when you're in it, it's so hard um, to see through. It feels muddled and icky and unclear. And, um, but when you come to the truth, 
If you've ever come to that moment when you've decided I'm going to drop the struggle, just it, it feels like a um, like a releasing of the cloudiness. And all of a sudden you have the settled peace when you hmm. know, nope, I'm going to do the right thing. Hmm. Even when it's painful, even if it's asking you to go to Mordor or something hard that you don't want to do, there's a clarity yeah. that comes with it that is far better than than clinging and, yes. and scratching and desperate, like clutching to the thing that you think you want. Yeah. I think that message is so relevant in our world, which is largely convinced that we're all products of self-creation. Mm-hmm. I think that's where our modern worldview just runs head on into Tolkien's worldview. In Tolkien's world, no one is a product of self-creation. They're all hmm. the product of powers and forces way bigger than themselves and yet mm-hmm. dignified with the ability to make choices. But that's so different mm-hmm. than what we think. We think like, hey, my ultimate goal is actually to take what I want, as long as it's not hurting anyone or whatever. But really it's yeah. like to become everything I can be by grasping for that power. Our, our culture just wants the ring. Some of it's not bad, but some of it is just inward focused and um, and actually could be destructive. You know what I mean? Like a society of people who believe that they have all the power within them and their only issue is unlocking their own inner greatness is a society of narcissists. Oh, I was just listening to um, one of my favorite YouTube channels and they actually have a similar tone. I hope this is, um, I feel like I'm flattering myself to say this because (laughs) I love this channel, but um, it's called Cinema Therapy Mm. where uh, a filmmaker and a therapist sit down and watch movies together and have really fascinating conversations. If you like our podcast, go watch them because they do a great job, but they don't have a Christian worldview. And I thought it was really interesting. They were talking about the difference between love and lust in Phantom of the Opera. Wow. The therapist, I can't, I don't know his name, but he defined love as wanting someone else's happiness. And in a sense, I think he's onto something. It's hmm. different than wanting to possess someone, which is what they're talking about. Lust is just the desire to possess someone, whereas love is wanting someone else's hmm. happiness. But but I think the Christian worldview has a slightly different spin on that. It's not just wanting someone's happiness. It's wanting someone's good. Hmm. And sometimes happiness is a temporary and fleeting thing. But joy and prosperity and and goodness, sometimes you have to wade through some difficult, hard things in order to get there. And But it's a deeper and a truer truth. And that's the way that God loves us. He doesn't just want us to all be instantly happy. Otherwise, he we would all look out the window and see a Ferrari in our front driveway. <laughs> but he doesn't want that. He wants us to grow in character and he wants us to grow in maturity. And if that means suffering, then then that might mean some suffering. Yeah. That only makes sense with the end framework that it's all going to be okay. Like, And in the Bible, we actually read how the story ends, right? God is going to come back and make everything right again. It's not that suffering's good, but it is that it's purposeful in light of Mm. the fact that God is going to redeem everything. So all that's left to us is to decide what to do with the time we're given. And that gives us the courage to suffer well in hard situations. Casey, speak more to that concept of eucatastrophe that you mentioned before and how it seems like, oh, is this just like a Pollyanna, like Deo Ex Machina, uh, everything just finishes with a cherry on top? Well, within Tolkien's worldview, there are really good reasons for thinking that everything's going to turn out well, like within the world of Middle Earth, right? Mm -hmm. One is that the Valar um, 
came and wiped Morgoth, Sauron's predecessor, off the face of the map once, mm. and they have designs to do it again. Um, so there's good reason for hope. There's good reason for fighting for the beauty that exists in everything. Because hope, if I could just interject here, hope is only as good as the thing you place your hope in. Mm -hmm. Hope in and of itself is really not useful. It might be maybe a little bit useful. But yeah, if you're hoping in something that's not true, then you are to be pitied. I saw this uh, WikiHow article. It was making the rounds on social media. People were just laughing so hard at it. It was like, how to get through tough times. And they, they're like, step number four, gaslight yourself. <laughs> it's like, tell yourself that the universe is just testing you. That is so sad and pathetic. You know, like, yeah. if, if what it is is gaslighting yourself, like, you know, it's not true, yeah. but you're going to just pretend like it is anyway. And without a deeper reality, a deeper truth to hang our hat on, like a world that God created and that he's going to redeem, all we have really is to gaslight ourselves. And so right. Tolkien's characters show wisdom, like optimism's the first level and it's like, mm -hmm. hey, things actually could turn out okay. Okay, once that's gone, what's left? Like, okay, darkness is really strong and we're probably going to lose. So that's like a deeper level of reality and mm -hmm. wisdom. Saruman has that. Denethor has that. But the deepest mm -hmm. wisdom of all is actually we might lose, but it's worth fighting for what is good because mm -hmm. there's a purpose to all of this. We love goodness for goodness sake more than we want even to win. And that's the deepest level mm of hope and new catastrophe that Tolkien reaches for. That motivates mm. all of his truly wise and good characters. Mm. From Galadriel to Gandalf, you know, like, the good ones understand that. Goodness for goodness sake. Yeah, Santa gets it too. He'd be right there with the wise, you know, the council of the wise. He would be. Well, Santa loves goodness. He does. Um, you said this and it stuck with me so well. Sometimes when we choose things that we know are wrong, and then we choose to justify it with our own kind of internal messaging. Mm -hmm. We think we're going to be like savvy and powerful and kind of cool. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm, I don't know of a good example. Maybe like Doctor Strange or, you know, like, yeah, I did the wrong thing. I used the, you know, and I kind of justified yeah. it. Bad boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in reality, we're going to be Gollum because... The nature of our own lies is that they'll poison our mind. And we literally will justify living in squalor and in sin and in just like toxicity. We'll justify it. And the danger yeah. isn't that we won't be able to convince ourselves that we're right. The danger is that we're fully capable of doing that. And we're gonna we can end up kind of a gremlin-y type character. Yeah. Or Denethor, like, man, that guy is so cringy. He just portrays it so well yeah. that he is so convinced in his heart yeah. that he's like, oh, go and die in what seems best to you. Yeah. Go die in what way seems best to you. Like, he's so relishing the self-righteousness of yeah. it. The eyes of truth look at that and think that's nonsense. Yeah. Like, you would much rather be... um that Theoden or be like Gandalf yeah. or be like Frodo and Sam who look suffering and hopelessness full in the face and are willing even to go to death yeah. because they have hung their hat on something far truer and far better, even when it's hard to see. And we, we praise that. We, are, we admire so much their faithfulness in the face of adversity. I see so many parallels with addiction throughout Lord of the Rings mm. and substance abuse, which is a huge problem problem in our society mm -hmm. it's not often talked about it's not mm -hmm. just to drugs it's to a bunch of things pornography video games alcohol. I mean, alcohol yeah the pandemic really deepened alcoholism 
as people mm-hmm. just kind of hold up. And I myself have really, I've struggled at times with, in particular, just digital addiction, you know, mm-hmm. or addiction to video games or just other ways of escapism. Mm-hmm. And the thing that strikes me that the world needs to know today, something that Lord of the Rings can draw out in us, is that we don't always want to step into the light, but it's worth it to do that. Mm. You know, it's like, there's no end to the evil. Like even what we were talking about with the Nazgul, they took these rings of power thinking it would bring them everlasting life. Ironically, it does, but it's sort of a life that isn't life. And that's what our vices promise us. Eternal life, but sucked of all goodness yeah, and all joy. Whereas if we love goodness so much that we're willing to sacrifice our lives, we can, we can live life for a purpose. And you see that theme again and again. I just think it's just so relevant to our culture. And, and Tolkien hints at it very subtly, but that there is life after death. Mm-hmm. And life after that ultimate suffering. Um, Peter Kreef, I don't know if you know. Yeah, yeah. you do. Uh, Peter Kreef, really, he's a Catholic thinker, but he talks a lot about Tolkien. And one thing he said is, even though none of the characters, or none of the main three, and in his mind, the main three are Gandalf, Aragorn, and Frodo, none of them die. Actually, all of them kind of die. Gandalf literally passes into shadow and then is resurrected as Gandalf the White. Hmm. Aragorn passes through the passage of the dead, which is a little bit like a di- a death in itself, and then comes back with the as the king. Hmm. And and Frodo, even though he survives and he comes back to the Shire, he never he says to Sam in the end, "We we set out to sa- save the Shire, and we have saved it, but not for me." Hmm. He died. He well, he goes to the Undying Lands. He leaves Middle Earth in a sort of death like way. Um, and he dies for something that he never gets to experience hmm. again, really. Yeah. It's not the same for him. So they all kind of die the sacrificial death. What Tolkien hints at so faintly, and we get it in that conversation with um, Pippin and Gandalf, is this hint of a eternal life. That goodness, somehow we can live, we can enjoy the goodness after the ultimate suffering and that the final chapter is going to be one of life and love. Absolutely. Which is the Christian worldview. Right. We're on home turf here with Tolkien's yeah. stuff. Yeah. And it, it's good. I mean, the other question I was going to ask, Carlin, is in our world, what happens if we don't have that deeper source of hope? Mm. I mean, we're facing a epidemic of deaths of despair in our culture. And yeah. You know, I could picture people watching Lord of the Rings and feeling like, yeah, that topic's kind of vanilla. You know what I mean? Like, don't give in to despair, but live for hope. You know, like, we hear that again right. and again and again and again. Yeah. And it can, it can go right over our heads. But sometimes I just take a step back and say, you know, we're literally facing an epidemic of deaths of despair. Mm-hmm. How is it that Tolkien could survive the trenches of World War I and lose all these good friends. How is it that when we see a character like Frodo and Sam struggling through just unimaginable difficulty, we resonate? And yet, in our world, surrounded by, for the most part, prosperity and opulence, mm-hmm. we can't find the will to go on living. I think we're not willing to look at it full in the face. Hmm. 
we don't, we, that message isn't compelling because we feel, it's like standing right beside you and next to you is this big, dark, scary monster of despair. And so you just like turn on YouTube or start flipping through mm -hmm. uh, TikTok or like go on Hinge and look for a date. Like we are unwilling to actually face it. We always have music playing, TV on in the background. Um, we're mm. running, 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 running from the truth. Medicate, medicate, medicate. Whether that's through actual meds or any other. There's, we li like you said, we live in an opulent time. We live in an age of entertainment. Mm. Escape is offered to you around every corner. Um, I heard this exercise. I forget. It's a philosopher or someone that says, challenges his students to close the door, go in your closet without any music or phone or book or anything. Just spend an hour alone with yourself. And most people can't do it. They cannot be alone mm. without distraction hard. for an hour. Um, but I, as a Christian, <laughs> the ones that were able to do it were Christians because they had settled. This professor with God. said that. Yeah. Huh. They had settled with God and with themselves who they were and where they were headed and had this inner peace and an hour, no problem because they looked full on the face of suffering hmm. and still found hope. But if you don't really believe that there's going to be hope on the other side of that, then it's just despair. And you, you can't give into that if you don't have hope. Right. It's a message that is so badly needed today. And yeah, I don't even know how to, how to say this because Tolkien was really clearly he's like I don't like allegory ironically he created an incredible means of escapism with his fantastic books but what they do is make you want to live life better when you're done yes. reading well and I have a bone to pick with escapism as someone who works in the themed attraction industry I literally build theme parks and I find that that's that's the highest good that people often can find for theme parks like when you're trying to think about it nobly like why do we why would i dedicate my life to building theme parks <laughs> right usually people jump straight to oh well it's a great escape from the stresses of life and while i i've i can see why that is a benefit like if you are having a really tough time like you, i don't know what everybody's life is like sometimes you need a break um but i don't think that's the ultimate purpose of storytelling on any level i think the best stories actually bring clarity hmm. and and enlighten um the reality the hard realities and those are the stories that we keep coming back to hmm. are the ones that are unwavering and unflinching hmm. when they deal with those heavy themes i mean disney walt disney from the very beginning wove in really difficult adult themes totally. into his children's animated movies yo bambi's mom like, gets shot okay literally don't tell the me the entire the, the forest burns down, Bambi's mom dies, and like it ends in disaster with a hint of hope at the end, like, oh, the flowers come back and whatever. But like he he the, that story lasts. Yeah, totally. Because that is the way the world is, unfortunately. But it's not an embellishment to add hope onto the end. That actually is an even further deepening yeah. of the truth. It points at something real. Yes. It's a better perspective. So if you're unwilling to look at the suffering, you're also going to be unwilling to see that little glimmer of hope on the other side of it. And that's why Denethor is a fool. Hmm. He's not wise. He's a fool. He gives into despair yeah. right at the moment when he, he should be welcoming the return of Gondor's long-awaited king. 
You know what yeah. I mean? Who's going to heal his son from this poison that he's taken from an arrow? It's like everything he wanted or should have wanted came true. But actually, he abandoned ship and decided to want something lesser along the way. A long time ago, he's been wanting something lesser. Yes. Yeah. And so just the message for us today is want the right things and and be willing to live for something. And And it's an encouraging message. There is something worth living for. And I just can't mm-hmm. emphasize this enough. My wife and I live on a college campus um, where she's a residence hall director. And we're mm-hmm. facing mental health issues all over the place. And I have very dear friends who have mm-hmm. been seriously affected by by this stuff. And and that's statistically true of all of us. We either If we haven't wrestled with the valleys of despair, we know someone who maybe has. Mm-hmm. And... It's difficult to talk about self-harm and suicide. On one hand, I think compassion is the obvious and sensible and correct answer. But compassion is not incompatible with a dose of truth. And that truth says, actually, despair is selfish. You can choose to give into the despair and to take the sort of escape actions or the short-term solutions that promise you that they'll end your pain, but never could ever deliver. Or you can choose to set those things down, look reality full in the face. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that starts with acknowledging your creator. I just don't see a way around it. Like medicine, psychology, counseling is all vital. It's really good. But I don't know how we're going to have a completely full view of mental health that doesn't involve reconciling with our creator as well. On, on this side of that, reckoning because it kind of does all come down to a reckoning right either you have it now while you're on this earth or you have it on judgment day but what you can't know until you do it is that his heart towards you is so gentle and forgive and full of grace and that he what he longs for is to just embrace you and wrap you up in a hug and to comfort your sorrow. There comes that moment when you surrender to him and and you're just flooded with hmm. his forgiveness and his grace. And it'll bear fruit in this life too. You know, it's like it won't always be mm-hmm. easy. We're not promised a life of ease. We're promised lots of hardship. But one thing that I'm just so passionate about is it's it's worth it to hmm. know your creator and to love him for his own sake. You can't know, just like you can't know what would happen, mm. what will happen if you choose selfishness again and again and again and again. Like we're not thinking we're going to end up as Gollum, you know, but yeah. we will. Denethor doesn't know what his actions are going to do. We don't know what kind of good could come from us living life in the light. Even in Tolkien's work, you see so much fruit. I, one of the things that I just love about it is that it's just like full to the brim with like good things in life. Hmm. You're just like, ah, it's why it's compelling as a story. You're like, I want to be there. You know what I mean? Like, I want to see this yeah. city. I want to like eat some Lembas bread. I want to like party with the hobbits. Go to the Shire. <laughs> Go to Rivendell. Yeah. Go to Lothlorien. He really had such a huge bandwidth for those kinds of things. And I think it just reflected the uh, life that he saw all around him. That sounds to me like one of the strongest themes throughout this is goodness for goodness sake in what you're just saying like all the good things in life are they're abundant and they're everywhere and the same thing for god we should love him just because he is good in and of himself and if we want to be creatures of goodness then we will love goodness wherever we find it right right 
one of the things I love the most about Tolkien was his love affair with his wife, Edith. He uh, wrote these this myth of Baron and Luthien, who's a mortal mm. man who encounters like an uh, elf queen, you know, and falls for mm-hmm. her. And mm-hmm. he mirrored that with Aragorn and Arwen, right? And mm. Tolkien was writing most directly out of his experience because Edith was this like guiding light to him and he loved her so mm. much. Like they were also kept apart by his guardian who didn't think he was ready to marry her mm. uh, and was pretty disapproving of their relationship. Not unlike Elrond kind of keeping Arwen cloistered away for a while, you know, or like just mm. waiting for Aragorn to prove himself. And so on Tolkien's gravestone is written Baron and Luthien. Oh. Tolkien and Edith's uh, gravestones have that inscription that is very cool i just feel like that to me illustrates the way that he just saw life kind of through this lens of the goodness mm-hmm. and the beauty like he he lived a really beautiful life as well as writing an incredible really kickstarting our modern genre of fantasy yeah thanks for that and the movies do it justice and that is the most surprising and incredible thing given what he wrote yeah I remember uh, growing up watching the movies. The first time I read the book was after I'd seen the movies a million times. And I was just so shocked at like, oh, I just assumed that was like added in the script of the film. But this is like straight text. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. There's a lot of stuff in there like that. Yeah. That you just, it's so faithful to the text. Well, Carlin, this has been good. Well, this is the first of our uh, 13 different endings that we have to have for this podcast episode. Classic. How do we wrap it up? I never know. The joke is because at the end of Return of the King, it just keeps ending. Oh! You know how there's like, ah. there's the one ending, then then the eagles come, oh, there's, then, there's that ending, and then there's another ending, oh, and man. then here comes another ending. It, like halfway through the movie, it starts concluding. That's true. And the rest of the movie is conclusions. But you know what, though? It's so well earned. We have suffered for 11 hours we've been on our own personal journey to mordor you know my (laughs) butt is tired after watching the extended editions from sitting from sitting yes oh you mean from clenching with stress (laughs) both from sitting on the edge of your seat i mean both yes (laughs) i've eaten enough snacks in that time you know to fill the stomach of a grown man which i am how many did you eat pip lord of the rings carl I'm proud of us. So if you're sitting there enjoying Rings of Power series, maybe you just want to go back to the OG and just uh, revisit, revisit the classics. Respect the classics. This has been another incredible episode of Cinema Snorkel. We'll see you next time.